want to encourage you uh, for our scripture reading, turn to Luke 23. Luke 23. Our, our focus is going to be on verse 39 to 43, but I'm going to start at verse 26. Page 884. Follow along with me as we hear from God's holy word. And as they led him away, they seized Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there... There followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they began to say to the mountains, Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do not do, the, do these things when the wood is green. What will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And they cast a lot to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There also was an inscription over him This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who, hanged, who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus... Remember me when I come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Luke 9 gives us the point in Jesus' ministry where he turned to the cross, turned to Jerusalem, and started heading towards Jerusalem. Luke 9:51 says when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was resolute. He was intentional and he was going to Jerusalem. There was a turning point in Luke 19:10, Jesus declared for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This determined obedience guides all of Jesus' actions in his life as a whole, 
And Christ entered and embraced the vulnerability, the risk, and the suffering of our world. He entered into our suffering, our world. As we look at these two thieves that hung on the cross with Jesus, we can quickly identify with them. There are two kinds of responses to our own personal suffering. I don't know if you've ever had any moment of suffering and deep pain and questioning, but there's two kinds of responses that we can have. And we can, the first one is we can rail against God and say, if you are such a great and a powerful and a loving God, why am I in this hellish mess right now? Why, God? Or we can acknowledge that we are sinners and we don't deserve anything good and cry out for mercy and help in our time of absolute desperation. Those are our two, two options, ways to respond to our personal suffering. And the world is full of people who rail against God in their own self-righteousness and presume that the, the creator of the universe, the one who created all things, is obliged to make their life smooth, easy, hiccupless. But there are only a few who own up to the fact that God owes us absolutely nothing. Nothing. And that any good that comes our way will be due to his mercy, not our merit. And I think Luke records in this text for us about these two thieves to teach us that there is a great reward in responding to suffering like the second sort of person. The two thieves represent, re, represent these two ways in responding to suffering and relating to Christ in suffering. Notice first how si absolutely similar they are. First of all, both are suffering the pain of, of crucifixion. Both are guilty of their crimes. Verse 41, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. Both see Jesus with the sign over his head that says, King of the Jews. Both hear the words from his mouth, Father, forgive them. And both of these thieves want desperately to be saved from their death. Most of us have these things in common with these thieves, one way or another. There has been or there will be suffering in our lives. None of us will be able to say, I don't deserve this. Most of us have seen Jesus on the cross and have heard his, his claim to kingship and his, even his gracious words of forgiveness. And all of us want to be saved from death one way or another. But the ways quickly divide with these two thieves and between the two categories of, of people. The first thief says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. This is a picture of an absolutely spiritually destitute person. It's a matter of total indifference to him that he is suffering the due rewards of his deeds. To him, right and wrong, good and bad, praise and blame are of no interest. His one objective is to save his earthly skin. He might even believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the King of the Jews, but it's only a matter of convenience for him. He'll take anybody as king, anybody as king, as long as he can get him off the cross. 
That's the way one whole segment of humanity relates to God in in their suffering. Suffering interrupts their, their personal, private, and convenient worldly goals and pleasures. So why not try God in that moment of pain? If you're king, Jesus, get me out of this mess. If you're king, take me out of this pain. John Piper describes it like this. It's the old carjack theology. A carjack is a dirty, useless thing to be kept out of sight in the trunk until you have a flat tire, a little suffering. Then you get it out, let it do the dirty work, and then put it away again. If you're such a good jack, jack me down off this cross, Jesus. If you're such a good jack, Jack me up out of this sickness, out of our, this financial mess, out of this lousy job, out of this crummy marriage. And we see that this thief had no spirit of brokenness or guilt or penitence or humility. He could only see Jesus as a possible power, a possible power by which he could escape the cross and escape suffering. He did not see him as a king to be followed. It never entered his mind that he should ever be sorry and repent and change. But notice the other thief. This is the one that Luke wants us to to look at closely. First, and there's seven things that I want you to notice here. Seven things. And the first one, Brent, you can help me out with this. The first thing is this. He is not sucked in by the other fellow's railing. If we want to follow his example, we will have to stand. And we will have to stand our ground and not be sucked in by people who are all around us, who might be saying, if your God is so great, if your God is so loving, so merciful, and so in control, then why allow the 26 men, women, children who were killed at Sandy Hook Elementary School? If your God is so loving and caring and gracious and kind and compassionate, why did 20,896 people die in the 2011 Japanese tsunami? Why? If your God is so loving, then why all the senseless murders that go on in Joliet and in our own neighborhoods? Why, if your God is so loving? Why doesn't he come down off his helpless perch of a cross and do something? The first thing that the penitent thief does is he does not get deceived by this talk. But what did he do? He rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? That's the second thing about this penitent thief. He feared God. God was real for him. God was his creator. It is fitting for creatures, humanity, to bow in submission before their creator and subject all their life to his wisdom and to his ways. It is even more fitting that sinful creatures, you and me, bow before God in a holy fear instead of railing against God as if a rebel ant was kicking at the foothills of Mount Everest and just demanding that it would be leveled so that we could just walk across. 
God is a God to be feared. Third, the penitent thief admitted that he had done wrong. We are receiving the due reward for our deeds. He had no desire to save face anymore. It wasn't worth it. In fact, he was standing on a cross before a holy God who knew everything. Everything about him. He could not save face anymore. He had no more will to assert himself or assert his righteousness. He was here and laid open before God, the God that he feared, and there was no way to hide his guilt. No way. The penitent thief gave it up. He admitted his guilt, that he had done wrong. Fourthly, not only did he admit that he had done wrong and that he was guilty, but he accepted his punishment as deserved. We are under the sentence of condemnation justly. We deserve this. We have done this. The real test of humility before God is saying that we deserve this. Many mouths will con- many will mouth the confession of sin that God be merciful to us, miserable sinners. But when trouble comes, they get angry at him. And this anger reveals that they do not really feel undeserving before God. They feel deep down, way down deep inside, that they have some rights before God. I am entitled to this. In fact, the generation of young adults that are about around some of our age is called the entitlement generation. I am entitled to this. And that's the view often for many, for God. I'm entitled to this right. I'm entitled to this feeling. I'm entitled to this. There are not many people who are like Job. who after he had lost absolutely everything. I'm talking about everything that had any kind of significance in his life. After he had lost everything, what did he say? Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But the penitent thief did become like Job in the last minutes of his life. He took his suffering without complaint and he feared God. Fifth, the thief acknowledged Jesus' righteousness. This man has done nothing wrong. That's a declarative statement right there, isn't it? He has done nothing wrong. It didn't make any difference to the first thief if Jesus was right or wrong. If Jesus could drive the getaway car for him, that was all that mattered for him. But it mattered a lot to Jesus if we think his life was good or bad. Jesus doesn't want to drive our getaway car. 
He wants to be followed. He wants to be worshipped and adored. He wants to be admired up close and from afar. He is the most beautiful Savior, the one who is to be admired and loved and adored, to, and to be worshipped with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. We must say with the thief that this man, Jesus, the one who has died for our sins, he has done nothing wrong. And because of that, he is worthy of our worship. This man does only what is good. This man only speaks the truth. This man is worthy of our faith. He is worthy of our allegiance. He is worthy of our entire lives. He is worthy of our imitation. And then six, the thief takes one step further, closer, and acknowledges that indeed Jesus is a king. And if you read through this too quickly, you will miss it. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Even though he is suffering now, Jesus has the mark of a regal king, a powerful king. For those who have eyes to see, and I'm talking about spiritual eyes to see, you can see that there is tremendous amount of power in this man. He has the power here on the cross, a power of love that makes him king over all of his tormentors. He's not only good, he is powerful. And one day he will vindicate his great name and every knee, knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And finally, the penitent thief does one more thing. He fears God. He admits wrong. He accepts justice. He acknowledges the goodness and the power, the kingship of Jesus. And now, and only now, does he plead for help. Jesus, remember me. In light of all these things that I know about you, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Both thieves wanted to be saved. They both wanted to be saved from, from death. But oh, the amazing difference between how they sought their salvation. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There is an infinite qualitative difference between save us, save us. Now, what motive does Jesus give us to follow in these, these steps of the penitent thief? There is a fearful silence toward the railing thief. Not even a word. Not even a word was spoken to him. 
It was a chilling moment, I am sure. Perhaps a pitying glance, but no promise. No hope was even offered for him. But to the penitent thief, he said this. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And I want you to get into his shoes. A man that was guilty, who was receiving his due rewards for his sin. I want you to step into his shoes because you belong in those shoes. This was, these words were almost too good to be true. There would not even be a delay. Today, the spirit of Christ and the renewed spirit of the thief would be in a union in paradise. The promise would be without delay. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And that is good news. What is this paradise? The word is found two other places in the New Testament. First, in in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 3. And I love this because I believe that Paul is talking about himself, but he he gets kind of confusing as Paul often does when he speaks. Listen Listen to what he has to say. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things which cannot be told and man may not utter. Paradise is the heavenly abode of God where there are things that found things that are prepared by God for those who love him, which are utterly indescribable. Our human words cannot even begin to describe the glorious things that God has prepared in advance for us. Absolutely beautiful, wonderful, fulfilling, enriching glorifying things for us. The second place the word paradise is found is in Revelation 2, verse 7. Here Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, to him who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. If we look at the end of the book of Revelation, we find that the tree of life is in the heavenly city of God, Revelation 22 says, And then he showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree were the healing for the nations. But in all of this, in all of this, the one thing that Jesus chose to mention to the repentant thief on the cross, and if you could say one thing in your final moment, what would you say? Jesus said, you will be with me today. You have to love and admire Jesus 
a lot for that to be the solace when you leave this life behind. He is our hope. He is, he is the one that heals our broken souls. It reminds me of a great spiritual And I, I don't know how many times I've listened to this song throughout this week. The song is called Give Me Jesus. And this great spiritual, we're going to listen to it in just a second. This great spiritual says, and when I come to die, when I come to die, oh, when I come to die, when I come to die, give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. We're going to take a moment. We're going to listen to this song. And then we'll pray and continue on in worship. I pray that this song will be the cry of your heart. Just give me Jesus. And this is the good news. That Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins. died for our sins. He who was without sin took on sin. This man has done nothing wrong. And the good news is that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins. And Easter is coming and he rose again. And is eternally triumphant over the grave eternally triumphant over sin, eternally triumphant over all of his enemies so that there is no longer, no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who believe, but there is only everlasting joy. If you have never received the good news of Jesus Christ, this good news, never accepted this fact that God provided a way through his son, Jesus Christ. If you've never responded and received God's free gift, receive it today. Jesus, I confess that you can have all this world. God, it's even hard for me to say it, but Lord, you can have my family. You can have my vocation, my calling. You can have my financial resources. You can have 
all this world. Just give me Jesus. God, I pray that tonight that our hearts would be awakened to the power and the glory of a crucified Christ. Who is the hope of the world? Who provides healing for the brokenhearted? Comfort for those of us who are deeply sad. And complete forgiveness for all of us who bear Adam's sin. God, would you work in us today? And then these next two days, would you keep our eyes fixed on you? Knowing that on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the grave, is hope. Spirit of God, would you enliven our worship, our hearts, make us alive to the beauties of this good news. And would you help us worship? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.